0: Welcome everybody to They Cast from the Coast. My name is Adam Miles and I'm joined today by Tim Johnson and Aaron Peerless. And we have a very special guest with us today. Filmmaker, writer, director, all around amazing person, Stephen Kostansky. Everybody! Yay! Steven, thank you very much for joining us here. This is uh, it's quite the pleasure to actually be able to talk to you. I mean, we've, I think, commented once or twice on different things on Facebook, but uh, absolutely to get you on camera here chatting with us is an absolute pleasure. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me. It's an honor to be on the show. Oh, here you, it's it's that, an honor to be yeah. on
0: Daycast the cast. Uh, we're hitting the big time, guys. I know. I know. <laughs> perfect, perfect. So, Stephen Kostansky, um, Canadian royalty, in my opinion, here. you, I'm, I'm going to put you on a pedestal here for a minute, because I've been following you since the early days of Astron 6 and everything you've been doing with the rest of the guys. Um, but I really want to know, when did it start for you? When, when did the bug for making films really kind of bite you and you kicked off and went with it?
1: Uh... I guess it started around when I was like 12, 13 and uh, my dad loaned me his Super 8 camera to try doing stop motion animation. I was like, as a kid I was a big fan of uh, like Wallace and Promise and Ray Harryhausen movies. Like I love like Jason and the Argonauts and stuff. So oh, yeah. like, here you could try stop this camera and it was not like how digital cameras are now where it's you know, super easy to do stop motion by comparison. It was like you couldn't preview what you were doing. Like it was shot on film. Like you had to order like a five minute reel of Super 8 film. And so I'd spend an entire summers trying to animate, stop motion animate these little movies. But as a kid, I didn't know how cameras worked. So I didn't like set the exposure properly ever. So I'd get, you'd ship off the reel to get developed. It would come back and we'd have to set up a projector and watch it. And it would all just come out watch unwatchable. And so I just endlessly made these, like, dud movies that just didn't turn out. But I enjoyed the process so much that I didn't stop. And eventually one of them sort of turned out, and I was like, okay. Like, finally, after, like, years of this, like. Some- and I think the other big turning point was my parents bought a second VCR back in, like, I guess, 98, maybe? Yeah. Time, and put it... They actually put the old one in the basement and we're like here now you have a vcr to watch movies on because before movie watching was like a communal family thing and so once i had the option to watch all the like dubbed movies that my dad taped for me like repeatedly over and over again yeah uh, that flipped in my brain and i realized like oh my god i could just like endlessly analyze movies and break them down and so i had a shitty dubbed copy of Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Uh, I think it was, like, the copy was so bad it was, like, was it EP and SP? There was, like, the one that <laughs> tape was over like, two hours yeah. and the one yeah. was, like, six hours, whatever. So it was on the, like, the longer ones, so the, I guess, faster speed, the shitty quality. So yeah. it was, like, super bad. But just the idea that I could watch scenes over and over again and, like, break down how the special effects were done. Because that movie as like hilariously awful as it is it's like a great thing for up-and-coming filmmakers to watch just to see the basics of like compositing and miniatures and like like the effects are so haphazard throughout the movie that it's like easy to break them down and understand how they did them so as a kid watching it it was like film school watching all these shitty movies and like just Analyzing like how they were done. Like another one I did that with was an old beta copy of Robot Jocks. Another
0: oh, one that my dad Yes. Full uh, Moon Entertainment Buddy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that movie is all about like stop motion and miniatures and pyrotechnics. And so as a kid, like it just totally fascinated me being able to like re watch these things and analyze them. Like 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 mysticism of watching a movie and like kind of removing that and just seeing it for what it is, as opposed to being like, Mm -hmm. Oh, we're going to the theater to watch a movie. I'm watching a movie with my parents. That felt like such a disconnected, like the idea of like Hollywood and filmmaking felt like this fantasy, but suddenly I had access to analyze these things and I started to realize like, Oh, this is a thing that I could do if I wanted to do it. And then I think the real like, the, the ultimate turning point was when my parents bought me Army of Darkness on VHS and it was that Anchor Bay release that had the uh, it had like bonus features on the end
0: Yeah. I like, remember
1: like at the, end of the VHS era they would do bonus features mm-hmm. so you just watch past and you get a making of like the full moon video zones uh, and so they had that making of for Army of Darkness and I remember seeing kb Effects in their shop and seeing those guys like it's just a bunch of like bearded dudes in metal shirts <laughs> like <laughs> just <laughs> totally blew away. and I was like oh okay like I, it looks like making movies is actually just like hanging out with your buddies and making monsters and just having the best time and after that it just like I could not stop after that I was like I have to make creatures and put those creatures in movies and this is just going to be my life now and uh any hope my parents may have had of me becoming a doctor or teacher or lawyer immediately went out the window, <laughs> much to their chagrin, and I committed fully to the, like, prosthetics and filmmaker lifestyle. I haven't looked back. No. Okay, maybe that time. Because, I mean, lawyer money would be nice, but <laughs> I love
0: <laughs> Lawyer money would be nice, yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So, Steve, Still did you did you find that uh, you were more interested in special effects, makeup first, like lab stuff, or did you find that you were, you know, you were interested in the directing part of it?
1: Well, I think as you, it, you know, I was interested in making things. Like, I was always just yeah. making shit, garbage as a kid. Like, I remember, like, like eleven or twelve, like trying to build robots out of like, like pen caps and like. Bits of circuit boards that my dad would bring home from, he worked yeah. at Manitoba Hydro. So he would get all kinds of, like, junk, just, like, old computer parts and stuff. So I would, like, yeah. hot glue things together. And, you know, it's basically that part in Simpsons where they're like, See, Homer, that's why your robot didn't work. Like, <laughs> I was making this- <laughs> It, 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 like yeah, this is how robots work, and then it was. I was really just making horrified like childhood art pieces that kind of looked like cool Terminators. And so I think yeah, when the VCR like came into play, where I was able to just watch stuff on my own, and the like mysticism of filmmaking that fail vale got lifted. Uh, that's when I realized like the connection like oh i can make things and then bring them to life on screen it's not just me like making a thing and then i put it on a shelf in my room it's like i make a thing i put it on screen and it can potentially like freak people out even like i remember i made a motion short in high school that was like a very loose adaptation of i am legend Uh, back before i am legend was even really a thing that many Mm -hmm. people seem to know Uh, I bought the book and I totally loved it when I was like 14 and just to me is like the ultimate story of this guy versus like a planet full of vampires and so I made a stop motion animated version of that and in it I put a really clunky and, and cheap jump scare and the short played in, at an assembly at my high school in front of everyone and when that jump scare hit like everyone in the theater screamed and jumped and I was like <laughs> yes <laughs> you were hooked yeah. you were hooked that's, that's the god power that i want to wield i want to <laughs> be able to like jump up out of their seats and it was such a satisfying scare because it was one of those ones where people jumped and then started like laughing and talking to each other of like oh my god i can't believe that happened which to me is like the best kind of reaction uh so yeah that was a that was a big moment for me realizing like oh i can like I can build these things, but then through the magic of movies, I can bring them to life and then mm-hmm. get them in front of people's eyes. Yeah.
2: That's funny, so, man, because I, I kind of that kind of happened to me uh, when I was in uh, grade twelve. I was I was doing like a Macbeth play or something like that, and uh, they didn't realize you know what my interest was, and uh, I ended up cutting the you know, uh, fake cutting the throats of the two guards guarding Macbeth and then going in and stabbing Macbeth, actually, in front of, you know, a couple classes. (laughs) And I had blood squirting everywhere. You would never be able to do that today. But I had blood squirting everywhere. My teacher thought I killed people. But the reaction that I got, that's what I thought. I was like, I got to do this for a living, right? So I feel feel what you're saying, man, big time. Yeah, that's awesome. You
1: know, when you get that first reaction, it's like, rock star feeling and for somebody like me that's like you know I don't play an instrument I'm not like I'm not like on the stage like I would never like act or do stand up or anything like so for somebody that's more of an introvert who likes to be behind the scenes to be able to get the crowd reaction without having to like be in a band or on stage performing in a play or something was just like such a confidence booster because it's like oh I can like I can get those reactions too, the way that I know how to do it instead of like yeah having to fit into like kind of the more traditional ideas of like what a performer is. it was like being a performer without having to go on stage
2: yeah man that's exactly the same way that I feel about about that stuff too one other question I had for you while we're on the uh, SPFX topic um, do you find that you pay mo- a lot more attention to continuity throughout your films and things like that? Uh, because you have that aspect of SPFX in your back pocket?
1: Uh, no. No? (laughs) It's just just, you, Aaron. It's just just you, bud. (laughs) Yeah. I I get into these arguments with script supervisors on set all the time. They're obsessing, like, oh, that drop of blood on so-and-so's face is like an inch off. And I'm like... You think that matters, like <laughs> telling a good story matters. <laughs> yeah. stuff like in the void. Obviously, in Manborg, Leprechaun, PG, like all these like just glaring inconsistencies. That like right. if you watch the movie like ten times, yeah, you'll find it. But yeah. you know, a normal person's is not going to pick up on those things. So yeah, yeah continuity is not a thing I'm super anal about. I, or I feel like there there's tears to it there's very obvious things. Like, yeah, yeah, somebody's shirt color can't change between shots. Right. But, like, I'll do stuff, like, if it, if it makes... If there's, like, some roadblock in a scene, like, like a chair is needs to be moved a foot to the left, like, I'm good to do that if it helps the overall scene work, and the yeah. same goes with effects. So, yeah. Because I find, especially when you get into, like, really chaotic effects, too, like, once I, you get, start having blood going everywhere, like, there's no way to keep track of that. There's yeah, no way to right. properly that. Yeah. So, you just got to your hands up and be like, well, this is... You know, not, to, not to use a, a Trump- Trumpian term that uh, became popular the past few days, but it is what it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, no, that's that's interesting, because,
2: man, for me, I just I don't know what it is. It just automatically zings into my head, and I'm like, no, that's got to that glass has got to be filled a little bit more and that you know but I, I'm, it's not something that I that I studied it's just something that I that when I'm on set I'm like whoa 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 I've even I've even you know sit next to the director or whatever you know books of blood it's like sh- I think that glass that wine glass needs to be filled a little bit more right and uh, sure enough right so he gets on it and he's looking at me he's like yeah gr- good catch right like so
1: I don't know why I don't know
2: why I do that
1: but it's like, it feels like and that's the thing that Drives me nuts on set because now, when the show comes out, find one of those inconsistencies, watch it with a group of people who have no concept of the show, and let me know if they flag that continuity error with you while they're watching because they will not. Yeah, Yeah, you're you're, right. You're probably right. And this this is not me railing on be detail oriented and being consistent, but. yeah, I think sometimes you just gotta let it go. It's not <laughs> there. You gotta pick your battles on set. And if there is time and money to do it, yes, make everything seamless and perfect and consistent, and let's all obsess over it. But when you're in the low budget world, where it's like your choices are making sure that wine glass is properly full or getting the scene, I'm gonna yeah. get the scene. Get the scene. Yeah, with yeah. The wine glass. Okay. Cool. So yeah,
2: that's, that's good to hear, I have, man. A I, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate it. Cool. I have a
3: question. Go ahead. Tim. Okay, so you 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 you've gone from being like this creative kid building monsters and shooting on Super 8s. How did you transition into making this a career? So, That's the
1: best <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> In movies and stuff. It's like That's always the question, is like, oh, how did you actually, like, go into earning a living at this? And the broad answer is, like, just don't stop. Just keep at it and keep working and improving. And, like, I'm not saying that stuff's just going to magically work out. But, like, I found that by segueing into effects and treating that as, like... This is a job in film that I want to do. Not necessarily committing full time to like I want to be a director and direct Hollywood movies. I think that's the mistake is people aim for the thing that is not really reasonable to go for like but I mean sure maybe there is if you go to like a prestigious film school or something or you're like, your like dad is Spielberg maybe but I think the most practical way to like get working in film and the thing that I did was I just committed to doing prosthetics. I was like, okay, like doing Hollywood movies is maybe unattainable. But there is a bit of an industry in Winnipeg for me to do prosthetics. So I reached out to the one prosthetics guy in town, Doug Morrow, who does uh like all the makeup and creature effects in the city. And I was like, Hey, can I like show you my portfolio? And he kind of mentored me a bit. He got me into the Dick Smith uh, makeup course, which is like a correspondence course that Dick Smith uh, put out in the 80s. And I'm still going as far as I know, where he basically mails you a how-to book, and it's up to you to just, like, make masks and stuff. And when he was still alive, you could, like, mail him your pictures, and then uh, he'd, like, call you shit all over your work. So I But, like in like the sweetest way possible. Like he was never he was never blowing smoke. Like the few times that I talked to him, he would always be very blunt and be like, oh, this is like pretty rough. Like this could be better. Here's how you can make this better. Um, and so I started doing that course and kind of mentoring under Doug at the same time and working in shop, his shop, his basement shop, uh, which then led to me doing some low budget things and, like, while that was happening, I was also making my own stop-motion moves, my own shorts. Uh, I had met Adam Brooks at that point uh, from Astron 6. We started working together. I started helping him on his shorts. And, like, gradually I met the other guys in the team, like Matt and Connor and Jeremy. And uh, so then I had, I had two streams going at the same time. I always had my, like, my like filmmaking, my indie filmmaking stream and my prosthetics industry Stream going simultaneous. And so, uh, you know, when one wasn't particularly busy, I'd be focusing on the other one and going back to that. So, like post high school, I would work on set doing makeups and stuff with Doug, and then I would go shoot short films with Astron 6 and do makeups on those. So I was like always doing something and always practicing and always being productive and not like waiting around for something to happen. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I found they complemented each other nicely because by the time I moved to Toronto, I had had a bit of a professional resume working in prosthetics, so people in Toronto were aware of me, like Doug had put in a good word. I'd worked on like Wrong Turn 4 at that point uh, and a few other movies, Capote, uh, some other like shooting strange video horror movies, uh, stuff that like I could talk to other prosthetics artists in Toronto about and like name drop and they'd be like okay so you've worked on a few real things you're not like fresh out of school and so I felt that helped get me into shops in Toronto while at the same time like finishing up Manborg and Father's Day uh, like Biocop and everything kind of in that era of Astron 6 Uh Uh, while I wasn't making money really from that stuff that was like getting my name out there as a filmmaker simultaneous to me working in prosthetics, uh, so when I moved here in 2010, uh, I started working like almost immediately in prosthetic shops and have been bouncing from one shop to the next and been consistently working while also making my own movies on the side and it's like uh, just a lot of juggling those two things to keep them going at the same time because the like indie filmmaking part doesn't pay the bills but the prosthetics thing does yeah. and the set but the prosthetics Compliments the indie filmmaking Because it like enhances my skills And a lot of times gives me resources and things To make my effects in my movies better And my movies help give me some Credibility and a bit of a Perspective on prosthetics that I think A lot of shop people don't necessarily get Because I've actually like Had to shoot these things myself and Seen all the pitfalls that come with certain Kinds of effects and trying to shoot them So yeah The key advice that I could give right now for anybody who wants to like break into the film industry is like pick that stream, that job and commit to it and don't go in with an attitude of like I want to be in charge like treat it like a job whether it's whether you want to do like sound or editing or prosthetics or whatever it's like pick that thing and you pursue, pursue that and expect to do that like just as a job and do if you want to make movies, make them on your own, but don't expect to make a ton of money off of it. Like the resources are there now to do it. Like pretty much anybody can go make a movie now. Like there's not really much of an excuse. You don't have to shoot on film. Like the cameras are at such a point that like I feel like high schools have like cameras that can shoot feature films now. Like that could be you know sold internationally. So that's it's uh, my advice on getting into the industry and kind of how I got into. It. It's good advice that's
0: good advice yeah. it, 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 extremely good advice and it, it really really uh, I'm just gonna say it manborg makes entirely too much sense right now after hearing all of these stories how manborg came together and uh, and the interviews that I've read with you before as to uh, as to uh, the the amount of actual time that it took for you guys to, to green screen everything and do all the effects and and film it, it yeah,
1: Yeah. well, that was happening at the same time as me. like Like, we filmed it when I was still in Winnipeg, and then the following two years of post-production on that movie was me transitioning into Toronto and working in the industry here. So I was super busy. Like, the movie probably would have been done a year earlier if I wasn't, like, getting thrown into, like, Resident Evil 5 and Silent Hill 2 and all these, like, random things back in 2011. Like... It was just a really hectic time so it had to go on the back burner so i'd be working in the shop and then i'd do my like 12 hour day and then i'd come home and then i'd be working till like two in the morning compositing shots for Manboard, just to try and get it done so yeah it was a real like kind of do it when i have time to do it sort of thing it was not a traditional production by any means it was just kind of done as i was able to make it happen yeah, no, it it
0: it absolutely, absolutely worth the wait, though worth the wait. I went to a screening of it, Jason Eisner held in Halifax, and and
1: uh, yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, he, I think he sent me photos from it. I'm sad that I couldn't go to that one, but it sounded like fun.
0: Yeah, it was definitely, definitely a bunch of fun. Definitely a bunch of fun. Um, so okay, that being said, I I have one major question for you with everything that you have going on what's probably the most fun or the best time that you've ever had producing something like making something like this like whether it's a specific movie or a short that you did like if you could say this is this is this is my happy place making this what would it be uh,
1: happy place uh i don't know i've had so many like isolated moments on everything that I've made that uh, like there's just such a variety of happy moments. One that I always go back to is when we're filming Cool Guys Astron 6 our like beach comedy short Yeah. there was one day we were out at the beach shooting at this like snack shack. Uh, it was just like this nice beautiful summer day at the beach and just all of us hanging out and having fun and that to me was such a like vacation of a day shooting a movie that uh like like i'm out in the world i'm not like like a mole man in my in front of my computer working i'm like actually out in the world interacting with other human beings and like laughing and having fun but also making a movie being productive so that's like the ultimate combination to me it's like i can't just relax i'm making movies at the same time but that was the perfect synergy of the two it's like i'm hanging with my friends making our goofy short film and we're out at the beach it's like doesn't really get any better than that Um, as far as like other examples like when it comes to like effects stuff I had like lots of fun moments on PG making creature stuff I find like with effects it's always so hectic that it's like, like hard to call it fun necessarily but it was definitely like a great team on PG and a lot of like Really fun people to be around who helped out. So, like, a lot of, like, the creatures and stuff we made, I have a lot of fun memories right now of making those. Um, I mean, Resident Evil 5 was a lot of fun. That was, like, back in 2011. I met a bunch of my, like, effects friends that I've, like, I'm still friends with to this day on that show. And it was just such a crazy, hectic thing. And at the time, for me, it was, like, a big deal. I know you can say what you want about that, franchise as a movie franchise but just as like a brand name the resident evil name to me are valuable and means a lot so like at that point i felt like oh i'd made it like it doesn't get any better than this and so just had a lot of fun in the shop uh just making zombies and those uh i think we made like a liquor stand-in for the liquor sequence uh so that was fun to sculpt um the IT Chapter 1 was fun to work on, too. Like, that was a great job experience. It was very surprisingly low-key for such a huge movie. Uh, I got called in. This was right after we finished The Void. Um, and so I was, like, scrounging for work. And my friend Tony called me and was like, hey, do you want to do uh, some life casts for IT? Like, just <sighs> a bunch of zombies. And so I was like, oh, okay, sure. So I came in. I helped for, like, a couple days on these life casts. And I thought like that would be it, but then you cut to three months later, and I was still there making stuff, like I ended up, uh, I don't remember all the characters names, I'm not the biggest it head out there, but uh, the kid whose like arm gets broken, I had to build that whole rig for him, I think it's Bill, I think, Um, he like falls through the floor and his arm gets busted, so it was like this whole fake arm, where he had to like have his real arm strapped.
3: Oh shit, what's his name? The Smart-ass kid. Richie? Not, not Richie, wow, no. The the one that was always talking
0: fast. We're Is we're failing, still? we're failing. I'm failing as a I horror know. fan.
3: I'm the <laughs> huge hug- hug- fan
1: and I'm like stunned right now. Uh, <laughs> his mom, overprotective. Yes,
0: yes. Placebos. Yeah,
1: I, I, yeah, hit you in 20 minutes from now. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, 20 I'll,
0: minutes. <laughs> he,
1: won't be, he won't be on at all. I'll be sitting alone on my couch and I'll be like, that's his name. <laughs>
0: he'll be messaging me, damn it, Adam. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you drop, drop the name in after the fact. But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was a really fun show to work on. And it was just like, because it was a small team. I think that's what I like because of my like indie background. I don't like giant productions with like hundreds of people like i really like a tight team where if you have a question like about something that person you have to ask is sitting like two tables away from you instead of having to be like oh we got to schedule a like conference call to discuss this minute thing that you have an issue with like it was nice having it i think it was like maybe six of us working on it in this massive shop uh So it just felt really relaxed by comparison to something like, say, like Pacific Rim, where it just felt like a shop full of people, and you just felt like a cog in a machine, and not much else. Um, Not to say that show didn't have its fun moments, but yeah, I guess I just prefer the smaller teams, and it was a was a good team of people. So yeah, those are some of my good experiences. There isn't like one that stands out as like the absolute best, but uh, there's some good memories buried in there. Amongst a lot of very stressful memories.
0: <laughs> oh, that makes entirely too much sense. <laughs> and to clear it up, his name was Eddie. Eddie. Eddie?
1: Eddie.
3: Oh, yeah. oh, so I was way off. Okay. I, I cheated. I had to IMDB it because it was here. And I was like, yeah, it's going to bug me if I don't say it or whatever. Yeah, I yeah. yeah. Stop
1: Jackson. saying Bill. <laughs>
3: Hello everybody, I am Fabio Frizzi, and you are listening to Daycast from the Coast.
0: Now now with with everything going on with uh PG, which is uh getting prepared for release here soon, I, I do believe I heard uh sometime October or November possibly in Canada, something I like that.
1: Think that's- changing uh, <laughs> uh, I, like stay tuned on that I can't really give you like an answer right now it's coming out but I think due to circumstances we may be pushing a little bit uh, oh. just understand because uh, I want this movie to play in theaters it's kind of important uh, so yeah. yeah sorry I can't give you a hard answer on that just at the moment there will be, no. be a proper announcement soon but uh, it will be coming
0: out soon-ish. Uh, oh, well, we, we can't wait to see it. We're, we're, you know, as soon as the movie comes out, we'll probably have an episode put out on that. We, we're, we you know, looking looking forward. The uh, the, the trailer itself was uh, just an absolute barrel of fun just watching it and all the crazy characters that appear and stuff. So, yeah, it, we...
1: It was a lot at you in the trailer. I like how I think there was a few comments I saw on the YouTube uh, video, people were like, how, does, how do these images even add up to a coherent movie? And I'm surprised to know that they actually do. Um, it's just a lot of shit in one movie. So, yeah. <laughs> Excited for people to see it. It is totally bonkers. my favorite thing that I've made. And,
0: uh, yeah. Excellent. So that leads, that leads into one other big question that I have. Can you tell us about anything that you might have on the go now, or can you tell us that you've got another project on the go, or can you give us any details of anything if you do?
1: I've got a thing on the go, but I actually don't, like, I haven't gotten the sign-off on if I can talk about it, okay. but I'm getting on a plane to go work on it on Sunday, so.
0: Uh, hence, hence the There's, quick to nature to, uh, to let's get this discussion going. You're leaving.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. it's like, otherwise I'd have to do it from D.C., and uh, I feel like that would just... It would get way too complicated starting next week, so, yeah. Gotcha. We jumped on this sooner rather than later. But, yeah, unfortunately, I don't want to, like, pull the reveal on that just yet, um, though I had been dropping some hints on one of my Instagram pages, uh my Chilkostansky account, uh, I've been posting uh, a lot of zombie stuff lately, so I don't know Oh, just no way! And... Okay,
0: I'm keeping my mouth shut, because I just
1: Yeah, okay Alright, I have oh, I have yeah. a good idea Keep now Keep my Kill Insta if you want to see more about it I'll try to tease it out as best as I can, but uh, yeah, that's all <laughs> I'm allowed to say
0: Alright, well that sounds good <laughs> Gentlemen, anything else that you have for Mr. Kostansky? Uh,
3: I see. I was told that we were doing this interview today and I was, I was excited because I was a huge fan of The Void. Huge fan of The Void. That movie completely blindsided me. I was like, oh, this trailer is so cool. And then I watched the movie and it was so cool. But I started going through your IMDB of your effects work and you've worked on some fucking movies, man. Like... Yeah, yeah it's been a long decade
1: um working on lots of random shit
3: yeah um I mean you 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 we've talked about it you've done uh some stuff on the suicide squad you did stuff on clown uh ABC's a debt. Da- like I'm like man this guy's been like doing all kinds of stuff um out of out of your big list of things, I mean, is there is there an effect or some is some movie you worked on that like you were like, holy crap, like I can't believe I'm like on this set right now doing this.
1: I mean, this is such a like dud of a movie to bring up, but I'm a crazy Silent Hill fan. Yeah. So when I got when I got hired on that second movie it was like I, I know I said Resident Evil was like a high point but really in terms of just like like a property that I cherish like just being able to have my name attached to a Silent Hill mm. thing it's such an achievement to me like I got hired I was hired as like an intern on that show I wasn't even like a full effects artist and uh, eventually worked my way up to being more uh, useful on the team just because I was so like committed to it and just busting my ass trying to make all this stuff is like a real crazy experience in terms of how many people were on that show. It was like every big effects artist in Toronto at the time was on it. And it was just such a hectic schedule. And uh yeah, working with Paul Jones out of his shop, uh, building all these weird monsters. Like it was it just meant a lot to me mm. that I got hired for that thing and that I get to have like a credit that says I worked on the Silent Hill property. Yeah, that's Again, say what you will. So, oh, yeah, awesome. uh, just being attached to that brand uh, is a huge achievement. So, uh, yeah, that's definitely. Those um, other ones, I I only helped out for a few days on Star Trek, but uh, it was like kind of cool to be able to help blue Klingons for a few days. <laughs> Wasn't even really a Star Trek thing at the time. I don't know. Again, it's like I'm happy to be involved in anything that's like a property, like a band that's recognizable. Mm-hmm. It just I don't know. It's like it's it just becomes an extra bit of justification. Yeah. Uh, for obsessively watching movies as a kid and like you know not going outside like a kid probably should have been doing so it's like every property i get to be involved in it's like one more thing i can take back in time with me to be Mm -hmm. like hey steve like keep keep watching those romero zombie movies because it's gonna be something something." um
3: with that being said is there any property that you might have been a huge fan of as a kid that you haven't worked on yet that you would love to work on
1: good question. there's so many so many i would Mm -hmm could just name pretty much anything and I would be all over it like <laughs> leprechaun for me even though it's like not definitely not a franchise that I was like obsessed with as a kid like I watched it like part of that uh, like catalog of like video horror movies that I consumed mm. uh, but like any kind of in that realm I would gladly tackle like I would be all over it, like a pumpkin head
3: I uh, oh, yeah, yes. yeah.
1: You know, anything like that, like, I really, someday, hopefully, uh, when the dust settles from The Littlest Reich, I'll be able to maybe try doing a Puppet Master. Um, or, like, a Trancers, you know. Just, like, there's so many properties that are just sitting there that I'm like, why are we not making, like, ten sequels right now? I guess I just really am nostalgic for that, like, Late '90s, early '2000s era of like straight to video Hellraiser movie, where they just like crank them. Like, where it's yeah. just like every every year there was like a new Hellraiser and a new Prophecy movie. Yeah. Like that's the kind of world I want to be operating in, where I can, yeah, just jump from like one straight to video thing to the next. I know it's like such, seems like a low bar to set, but <laughs> I had so much fun making Leprechaun. And I would just love to keep doing that kind of thing. Like trying to like breathe some life into stuff that's kind of stagnant and maybe become a little forgotten. Try to rejuvenate some properties. Because I feel like there's so many iconic horror franchises that deserve to come back, deserve to be revisited. Uh, I would be all over doing a Wishmaster movie. Oh yeah, That's yes. one that I feel like I've, I've been pushing for that for a while. we got to
0: get Div off in uh, the makeup because,
1: though. Yep. Or, or at the very least, like, get him to do voice or something. Like, just, Yeah. Gotta get him back to some capacity. Yeah. Um, but I think that would be a fun property to reintroduce. Like, we just, I don't feel like we have any, like, horror icons right now. Everybody's, like, nostalgically looking back on Freddy and Jason and it's things that, like, are never gonna come back in their current state just because of rights issues or Know, people being old. So, it's like, let's, like, there's other things, there's things outside of that that we could be trying to rejuvenate, revisit.
2: I mean, I'm a I'm also a
1: huge Phantasm fan, and I know that, I know <laughs> Angus <laughs> yes. <I know clears throat> ang- past, and it's sad, but I I feel like there is a way to continue that universe, and still honor his memory as the Tall Man, yeah. because to me Tall Man is such a, he's like he's like bigger than just that character I feel like he's an idea more than just a man, absolutely and I think that there's ways to reintroduce the Tall Man in a more Lovecraftian sense that uh, doesn't necessarily have to be Angus Grimm um, so yeah yeah, I feel like that, that would be a cool franchise to you know bring back and maybe, like, introduce younger audiences cool. to it, because it's amen. just so spooky. It, de- it definitely it does,
0: does need amen. a refreshing, like a fresh coat of paint if it's going to go any further, because, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're doing an entire series of uh, on Phantasm right now, and uh, the comments and the discussions that we're having are quite interesting. Let's just put it that way, so.
3: <laughs> yeah, because... I I I was not a Phantasm fan growing up, so it's kind of like I lost that window of like magic and wonder as a kid watching them, right? And I'm watching them as a cynical forty-year-old <laughs> man now, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, I, that's my biggest gripe. I don't know what's going on, and I tried three, mo- four movies, and I mean, the third one was really good. I liked it, um, but. I don't know. I mean, and I always said that I can appreciate the series because you know it's iconic, the music, tons of people like it, all that kind of stuff. But oh, and the soundtrack is like one of my favorite themes ever in horror. Um, but yeah, if like if someone could bring it back and just just have it make a little bit more sense and a little linear. For my stunned ass so like <laughs> I would be happy because the idea behind it is so cool right like it's like it's so unlike anything else that's going on and I don't know <clears throat> I try Yeah. I try every I episode totally, I try
1: I, I totally get that it gets very muddled, and I think some of the appeal comes from that because it's almost like it works in like a lynchian kind of way where it's like it not making sense is what makes it scary and unsettling But I do think, like, you could streamline it a bit and still keep, like, like, it's basically what we did with The Void. And Mm -hmm. the Phantasm was an inspiration for that, was like, not having all the answers is good uh, um, and helps build dread and mystery and suspense, but having, you still have to, like, ground it in characters and, like, their actions and their journey should make sense. And having stuff in the background that's ambiguous. Uh, is fine and only enhances kind of like the plight of the characters but if you make it if suddenly like their actions don't make sense and then what's ha- with what the overarching story doesn't make sense and you're just sitting there confused then kind of lose, lose the effect a little bit um, so yeah I think there there's a way to attack Phantasm that would make it work and make it accessible without losing the kind of weird mystery of it yeah. so yeah
2: yeah you definitely want what- to you wouldn't want to lose that what, what, that background that it's got because that's what draw, drew me to Phantasm was was how strange and off the wall it was mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, and that's why I brought it up to you guys for the podcast you know let's do this because I knew we were going to have certain uh, aspects from each one of us that may not that may not jive, right? And that's what's happening, so... Well,
3: that's what makes a good show. Conflict right. and differences of exactly.
2: opinions
1: and, and stuff. And right? people so, getting yeah,
0: frustrated. Yeah. And... <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, uh, for me personally, I honestly think with Phantasm, the, like, inconsistencies that bug me the most are the ones that feel like they're just put in as, like, just, just as, like, jump scares and things... That almost feel like studio mandated. Mm. Like a good example, of the end of part three. Uh, I forget the little Timmy name, but like how they just keep repeating Tim. that end, Tim. that ending of like it's just a dream, and then Tall Man shows up. and He's like, no, it's not, and like he's mis- somehow standing next to like a giant floor-to-ceiling like mirror that like some gremlins come through and grab him, and it's like then we don't see what happened. Like okay, I guess Timmy bed in the next one like, I feel like that kind of stuff is what irritates me in Phantasm because it feels more like kind of Hollywood script writing coming into play when they should have just committed to the mystery of it like I think the ending of four is the best ending in the whole franchise which may be a controversial <laughs> opinion but I think that's an ambiguity that works because it ends the emotional arc of that story is satisfying of Reggie being like, "I'm coming back for you," and him going into the portal and, and like pushing in on Mike's eye, and going into that flashback, of them in the ice cream truck. Mm-hmm. It's just such a nice, like, poignant moment to end a horror movie on, as opposed to some stupid thing where it's Boy. like, "Yeah, tall man, camera, yeah," and, and getting grabbed, like the, the, yeah yeah. So that's there. There's my minor beef. With the <laughs> it's not too, it's
0: We've a, officially a, heard from Stephen Kostansky a, <laughs>
1: Yeah, I got. Go. This is not the first phantasm tangent I've gone on on the past like you podcast interviews. That <laughs> I, 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 I keep, keep it up, and then I just keep going on these rants. So I should just cut it off right there and be like, "Talk about something else. I don't have to talk about Nice, <laughs> nice. You, you can see I talk about that. It's very, very near, near to my heart. That's awesome. great. Mind yeah, you. yeah. It's. It, I look
0: back on it with rose-colored <laughs> glasses, and I now, as as Tim would p- probably say, I'm more of a jaded adult that's looking at it, going, "What the hell was I thinking?" In some cases, but you know, you can get some enjoyment out of it. So, it's...
3: well, the thing that I always said was, this is, "These movies were made with love." Like this guy is like, "This is his his." vision in his dream Mm. and i think it's awesome that he's able to not alone like only make a featured film but like multiple sequels of this vision that he has and i totally respect that it's just sometimes the way it comes across it's like uh what are you doing where am i at why is he alive i thought he was dead and you know what i mean but yeah it's Uh, it's definitely an uh, enjoyable movie to watch like kind of go through this rabbit hole of this guy's brain you know what i mean so
1: It's a bit of a, like, George Lucas syndrome, I think, where if you have one creator where it's just his vision, like, unaltered, you're going to run into those problems Mm. where it's, like, I could have used maybe a bit of, like, I don't know, like, critique on the screenplay level from somebody else to be, like, maybe let's uh, smooth this out a bit. So it's, like, it's a bit of a trade-off. Like, I do like that you get that clear vision from Coscarelli. But at the same time, it like, could maybe have a little bit of, um, like, a little polish on it to yep. make some of the logical Absolutely.
0: Well, gentlemen, I think what we're going to do is we're going to actually cut the interview now and uh, let Stephen get back to preparing for this big project that he's hitting a plane for this weekend that we can't wait to hear very much uh, more about. Uh, so we we look forward to updates and we're going to check out that Instagram account. So you keep teasing us, buddy. Keep teasing us. So we just want to take a moment to thank you very much, Stephen, for joining us on this call today and, and uh, chatting about horror and The invites out there, uh, when you start rolling on post-production on whatever you're hitting now, and you get a little bit of time maybe, maybe we'll hit you up and you can chat with us again. We'd love to hear some updates from you, and uh, we'll go from there. So thank you very much, Stephen, for your time today, and everybody, thank you very much for tuning in these shows are available on our Facebook channel for Misunderstood Our Company as well as on YouTube. Misunderstood Our Company. Like, share, and subscribe. We also produce audio copies of this every week on our major podcasting platforms including, but not limited to, Google Play, iTunes, and Spotify. We're also on Patreon. Open up your hearts and your wallets. Buy Tim a coffee because that's what Tim needs to keep going in the span of a day. Please. Please. Please! And until next time, Aaron...
3: Keep your balls in the air. <laughs> okay. Tim! <laughs> Stay spooky, everybody. Say goodbye to the folks,
0: Steve. See you next time. Whoa. See you, Steve.